Hello, welcome to Spiritual Warfare. My name is Teresa. I will be reading from the book by Jensen Franklin. Overcoming when you feel overwhelmed. Five steps to surviving the chaos of life. Pick up the breadcrumbs. When your arms are achy, numbed or fatigued from rowing, think back and remember all the times God has come to your rescue. Prior to Jesus telling the disciples to get into the boat, another miracle had occurred. We read in Mark 6, 30 through 44 that Jesus was speaking to a crowd of close to 10,000 people. Mark records 5,000 men in number, but that number would have at least doubled if the women and children were counted. It was getting close to dinner time and the crowd started getting hungry. Jesus miraculously used a little boy's lunch, a five fish, and two loaves of bread to feed everyone. Plus, 12 baskets of leftovers remain. Then Jesus dismissed everyone and made the disciples take their divinely appointed boat trip. After Peter had walked on water and had almost slipped under and drowned, we read that when he and Jesus got back into the boat, the disciples were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. In other words, they didn't understand the miracle they had witnessed before the storm as an example of how they could trust Jesus would provide. Think about it. The miracle of Jesus feeding thousands of people had happened only a few hours earlier. We are so quick to forget the positive. As the disciples were battered by winds and beaten by waves, I'm sure their fingers still smelled like fish and their bellies still stuffed from carbs. If Jesus could feed thousands with a lunch made from one kid, could he not save them from these elements of the weather? And if Jesus could give Peter the power to walk on the stormy sea, was he not able to sustain the disciple to walk a few steps farther so he could stand alongside Jesus while the weather raged? That's why when Peter began to slip into the sea, Jesus said, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus wanted Peter to remember the fish and the loaves of bread, reminders that he could provide. And that's what I mean when I say, pick up the breadcrumbs. Never forget what God has done for you. Let those memories fuel you when you're knocked off your feet by an unforgiving wave. Difficult seasons come. The economy collapses. A loved one gets sick. You lose your job. The medicine doesn't temper your anxiety. A string of bad decision evolves into a mental breakdown. Sometimes the storm is our fault and sometimes it's not. But when you're in a place where you know you need a miracle, pick up the breadcrumbs from the last miracle. Remember how God kept you from going bankrupt or gave you the strength to carry on when you had lost something or someone that you loved? Remember the faithfulness he showed you when you didn't deserve it at all? If you take the time to breathe and reflect, you can remember that God will not let you go. 
If you're facing trouble, close your eyes and fix your sight on Jesus's nail-pierced palms. And remember that he willingly gave his life for yours. A second storm? In addition to the story of Peter walking on the water, there's another well-known storm the Gospel of Luke records. The same cast of characters was present, but with a whole new lesson to learn. Luke 8 records the time Jesus got into a boat on the same sea and invited the disciples to take a ride over to the other side of the lake. In the Greek, the phrase other side is the derivative of the word P-E-I-R-O, which means to pierce, beyond, on the other side, or cross. I see a spiritual nugget hidden in Jesus' statement. To get where we need to be will require a piercing through of circumstances that hinders us. As the disciples began to row across the lake, Jesus fell asleep. And as the weather turned and the sky blackened and emptied its fury, he continued to snooze. Luke 8.23 tells us that by that point, the disciples were in jeopardy. The boat was taking on water. This was turning into a life or death situation. Yet Jesus was sleeping. How could this be? Why didn't he wake up and join the panic? I believe it's because he knew his word had already been spoken over the situation. Prior to embarking onto the boat, he had not said, I am going to the other side. Instead, he had included his disciples. Let us cross over to the other side. Let us made the difference. The plan was to make it to the destination together. The disciples came to Christ in fear, waking him up and saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Notice they said, we are perishing which appeared to exclude Jesus in this perishing process. They never said, you, you are about to perish. You are about to die. Jesus, you are going under. Perhaps they had faith for him and no faith for themselves. When the disciples awoke Jesus, He immediately rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. The word rebuked carries the idea of censoring something, such as when Jesus rebuked demons, then forbade them to speak. Luke 4.41 Rebuking the storm was Christ taking authority over the root cause of conflict. He rebuked the wind and also the raging of the water. The word raging here indicates the violent dashing of the water against the vessel. Wooden vessels would be broken apart if this type of raging storm persisted. And afterward, Christ rebuked his disciples, asking them, Where is your faith? During the end times, many types of storms will be brewing in the nations the church, and the world. Some storms will come and go swiftly. 
doing little or no harm. Others, however, will be well-planned with set targets. It will require faith to pass the test and endure the storms. No gust of wind, towering wave, or blinding rain would have been strong enough, however, to keep the disciples from going where Jesus intended them to go. Know this today. You are going to the other side. When we face our storms, we must look to Jesus. But how? What will that feel like? When David was overwhelmed, he would recall the miracles God had performed for Israel in Egypt and in the wilderness. When you have needs, always remember the stories you have heard of God's provision. When you are hit with a surprise sickness that appears devastating, recall the stories of healing that the Lord performed, not only in the Bible, but throughout the generations of history. When the power of darkness attacks your children, focus on the promises God has given you in his word that if you train up a child in the way he should go, when they are old, they will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 6. The stories of the storms of Galilee gives us possible clues as to why we falter and feel overwhelmed as if we are sinking. We are forgetting God's word and forgetting his miracles and focusing on the circumstances. Stand on the word in the middle of the storm and never forget what God has done in the past, since he can repeat the same miracles in the future. What's on the other side? While some storms are sent to discourage you, the other storms come because you have entered enemy territory and have attracted the attention of evil forces. Many times these kind of storms appear when you are close to a breakthrough or close to exposing lies. It's in times like these that you need to know who you are and whose you are. Once you know who you are, the enemy has to recognize your identity too. After 40 days of fasting, Jesus was tempted by Satan over his identity. The devil said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. But Jesus knew who he was. He didn't have to turn stones into bread to prove his identity. I believe that the storm of Jesus and his disciples endured on the Sea of Galilee was not a natural storm. It was a demonic demonic one. When he was approaching the area the demonic forces occupied, he knew he was entering enemy territory. The demons immediately recognized who Jesus was and his mere presence caused such a violent reaction in the spirit world that a storm began to break out even before he arrived on shore. This was a holy area occupied by something unclean. When you enter a territory the enemy occupies, which could mean anywhere from your school, your office, your neighborhood, where you are witnessing to a neighbor. That's territory the enemy thinks belongs to him. Your mere presence and the presence of the Holy Spirit 
that you carry into this territory can create a storm of fierce opposition. Rejoice because you are closer to your breakthrough than ever. The storm indicates that something big is about to happen. The enemy's goal is to get your eyes off of what's on the other side of the storm. Why? Because he knows your reward is on the other side. Not at the beginning of the trial, not in the middle of the struggle. When you get discouraged, your reward is at the end. Somewhere between sickness and healing, there's going to be a storm. Somewhere between poverty and provision, the storm will come. You may lose your job. Your car may break down. That's okay. It's all part of the victory process when you enter enemy territory. But the greater opposition, the clearer your indication that God is about to set something loose. The storm tells you that when you're getting close, somewhere between your loved one being bound by sin and trusting in Jesus, you're going to see some confrontations. You're going to say some words you wish you could take back. See some tears shed. You're going to have fallouts and lockouts. Cry crocodile tears and occasionally flip out. But I'm telling you, these are the signs that you are nearing the other side of the storm. In order to overcome the overwhelming, you must be willing to cross through chaos. The stronger the storm, the closer you are to the point of deliverance. Keep looking to Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That brings me to a situation a couple weeks ago when it was like 95 degrees outside and my tire light came on and it doesn't tell me which tire is low or losing air. So I go to the gas station and I had to use my card. I never have quarters and it's $2. You swipe your card and I start to put air in my tires and I look and it doesn't have a gauge. So that doesn't help me because I don't know. So I went ahead and I put air in all all four tires, but I couldn't measure it. And something was telling me, you got to get this measured. I'm like, God, it is so hot out here. I mean, I was just overheated. It was so hot. So I drive down the road and I pull into this tire place. And it was God appointed that I be there. The man that helped me and what Jesus did between the two of us and the smile that was on his face after we were all done and I left, I just looked up and I said, wow, this is why my tire was low. And I thanked God, even though I was irritated and hot and like, oh, I can't believe this. And nothing was working out at the first gas station. So I actually had to go to a dealer just to get the little tool to see how much air is in there. 
And I left and I just praised God because he used me in a way that I just didn't expect that day. And I was irritated and I was mad. And I just, those things like that, God will use you. There's always a reason. Always a reason, no matter, even if it is 95 degrees out and you're so hot and you just want to go home and get in the air. So every opportunity that comes across your path that is not positive, it's a little bit of work. Let the Lord use you. 